Well, welcome to the hills. If you're a part of our online community around the world, I'm especially thrilled you're with us today. We are a church that meets at three locations in Tarrant County, and it's my privilege today to preach live at the West Fort Worth campus. And so a personal shout out and greeting to all of you in person at North Richland Hills and Keller campuses. I want to share with you before we finish this series we've called How to Be Good and Rich, what's coming up the next couple of weeks. And next Sunday, Taylor Walling will be with us. He's preached here many times, but it's important because it will be his last time as a part of our church staff. As you know, Taylor and Courtney are moving to Malibu. Uh, He's helping start a new church on the campus of Pepperdine. And uh, I'm very, very excited about this new work. I want you to know it has been a joy to work with Taylor these last nine years as a member of the teaching team. And I'm already excited about the word God has prepared for him to bring to us next Sunday. So be praying for Taylor and for Courtney and expect a great word next week. And then the week after that, we're in for a great word as well. It's the Women's Conference, ladies. I hope you're excited. The Wonder Conference is going to be amazing. And I don't usually do this, but this year, I've asked the main speaker, Lisa Harper, to stay and speak to our church on Sunday, September the 10th. Lisa is one of my favorite speakers. Please notice, I did not say one of my favorite women speakers, but she is used powerfully by God to encourage through the scriptures, and it's going to be a rich, rich blessing. And so you're going to be encouraged these next two weeks, and you have much to be praying about in expectation. But today we're going to finish this series called How to Be Good and Rich. And can I just take a moment and thank you? Thank the church for the way you have received this series. I told you early in the series that when I was a young preacher, I hardly ever talked about money and wealth for fear that people thought I might have an agenda. A lot of people think preachers only talk about money for personal reasons. Uh, maybe you heard the story of the two boys, they're playing, and one boy's a guest. He accidentally swallows a few coins. He panics. He starts running down the sidewalk. The mom comes out. Come back, son. I'll take you to the doctor. No, I'm going to my church. Why? My daddy says that pastor can get money out of anybody. Okay, that's the common joke we tend to make about pastors, that they have some agenda for talking about wealth. But let me tell you, the feedback I've consistently gotten has been different. It has been, Pastor, thank you for talking about this. Thank you for calling us as your uh, members of your church to generosity. Thank you for challenging us to include stewardship as a part of our discipleship. It ought to be. Because here's the reality. I don't care how rich you are. You don't have enough money to change the fact that you're finite. We all are. We all have an expiration date, and we should remember that as we manage our money. We should have a plan, like the guy I heard about telling a friend, you know, my plan and my goal is for my cash and my life to run out at the same time. The friend said, well, how's that plan going? And he says, well, right now, it appears I need to die sometime after lunch next Tuesday, okay? (laughs) At least he's got a plan. Well, let me ask you something. Would your view of your wealth change if you realized your death was imminent? If instead of expecting to live for years, you found out you were only going to live for months, would it change the way you think about your wealth? 
Do you remember back in January of 2018 in the state of Hawaii, the emergency alert system had a malfunction. And on all of the channels and communication uh, platforms in that state, the message went out, we are under a ballistic missile attack. This is not a joke. And of course, people naturally panicked. For 38 minutes before it was corrected, people believed that a deadly missile attack was coming. And there was nothing they could do. One of the most interesting responses I read about was a guy who was playing golf. He couldn't get home in time to his family, so he just sent them a video and said, there's nothing we can do, so I'm just going to keep doing what I love. And he kept playing golf. Uh, you might disagree with him, but there's something about his attitude I like, and that is, I would like to think if I found out my death was imminent, if I found out that instead of thinking I have years more to live, I just had months more to live, there would be no huge changes I would need to make in my life. I'm trying to live right now in light of then. And you should too. If you're going to be good and rich in this present world, you must be good and aware of the coming age. And that's the big idea we're going to close with today. So we've been reading 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 every week now for this series. We've been reading it out loud because that helps us to remember. So now at every campus and online, I want you to stand up with me. And church, this is the Word of God. It is living and it is active. So let's read it together with passion and with intention. Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May we all receive a blessing from God's Word and go ahead and have a seat. And I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say there's one thing that rich Christians should do with their wealth. He actually says there are two things that rich Christians should do with their wealth, and they are both good things. And the first might surprise you, but he says, if you have wealth, you should enjoy it in the present world. He said, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, every parent here understands at Christmas time, you give gifts to your children. And you enjoy watching them enjoy what you have given them. Listen, our Father in heaven is a good, good Father. And he gives us gifts for our enjoyment. So enjoy it. Do you live in a comfortable home? Do you drive a dependable car? Can you take someone you care deeply about out for a special meal? Can you take your family on a nice vacation? Don't feel guilty about this. Be grateful for this and enjoy it. Listen to the preacher in Ecclesiastes 5. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. 
to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. Now, granted, we live in a culture intentionally designed to cause us to covet and to want and to desire. That's what the marketing industry is all about. And when we can escape that prison, when we can leave the bondage of always thinking we have to have more to be happy, then we are set free to fully enjoy what we have. And this is what God wants. The Father wants his blessings to be enjoyed with an attitude of gratitude. But they're also to be managed with the ever-present awareness that this world will not be ever-present. And so throughout Scripture, you have this minor thing when it comes to wealth. Enjoy it. But then you have a major thing regarding wealth, and that is to employ it for the coming age. Because again, I don't care how much money you have, we all have an expiration date. See, I heard about a man who found out he didn't have years to live like he expected. He only had months. He left the house for a few hours. He came back holding a bag, and his wife said, what's that? He said, I went to the bank, and I got all my money, and I turned it into gold coins. And he started walking up the stairs. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to put my bag of gold coins in the attic, because when I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to pick up my wealth and take it with me. Well, a few months later, he died, and a few weeks later, she could not help herself, and she went up into that attic, and there was that bag of gold coins, and she shook her head and said, I knew he should have put it in the basement. Okay, (laughs) here's the truth. Rich Christians need to learn how to do financial planning for the next life, because here's the reality. Right there in 1 Timothy 6, a few verses earlier, verse 7, Paul said, after all, We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Get that, church. You're not taking it with you. Occasionally, someone of wealth will pass away, and people will wonder, I wonder how much money he left. I can tell you, all of it. He left all of it. You will, too. See, the Bible is clear. We can't take our treasure with us. But the Bible is equally clear that we can send it on ahead. And our rabbi, Jesus, was constantly advising his followers to do just that. So each week, I've given you a principle on how to be good and rich. Week one, if you want to be good and rich, be humble about your wealth. Week two. Trust God instead of your wealth. Week three, bless others with your wealth. And the big idea today that we close with is if you want to be good and rich, you must influence eternity with your wealth. Now, I know that most of the people I'm talking to right now who are listening to me right now You have identified yourself as someone who is following Jesus. And I just want to remind you that when you surrendered to Christ, and this surrender was pictured and proclaimed publicly at your baptism, 
when you reenacted the death and the burial of Jesus. And in that moment, let me be clear, you did not lose some of your wealth. You lost all of it. And King Jesus now has a claim on everything you have. And we believe King Jesus is returning with his kingdom. And he is going to make it clear. He's going to declare his claim on everything that is. And if you're going to be good and rich, you're living now in light of then. I remind you again, this series has never been about dollars. It has been about discipleship. And as a pastor, I'm not told in the scripture to suggest. I'm not told to remind. I'm not told to give a few thoughts. I'm told to command you to be a good steward of your wealth. Because this present world is not an ever-present world. A coming age is on the way. Live now in light of then. Because we're all going to the age that is coming. One of the most well-known theologians of the last century was a German named Helmut Dillicke. You know, not every German was a Nazi. He was a pastor during World War II. And toward the end of the war, at the fall of the Third Reich, and Germany was under a relentless attack of uh, bombs from Allied planes, his city of Stuttgart was getting pummeled. His church building was destroyed, and the houses of many of his members were destroyed. And he'd heard about another bombing the night before in a neighborhood where many of his members lived. And so he walked down the sidewalk, and there was a home of a couple from his church, and it was just incinerated, nothing but a hole in the ground. And there was the woman standing by that hole. And she pointed down and said, my husband died there. They're not even going to be able to find his body. What do you say in a moment like that? He expected her to be angry, expected her to be confused. And instead, she turned and she thanked him. She said, thank you for preparing my husband for eternity. I am constantly sobered with that thought. That I'm commissioned by God to prepare you for eternity. And so, let's do some biblical financial planning. I want to talk to you about your wealth and about heaven. Three big ideas. Here's the first. Let's be clear. Your use of money will not get you into heaven. Heaven is not for sale. God cannot be bought. Now, generosity can get heaven's attention. There are times in the Bible where prophets or even an angel will will say, heaven has noticed someone's generosity. So generosity can get heaven's attention, but it cannot earn heaven's admission. The only thing that can make a sinner fit for heaven is the blood of Christ. I said a moment ago, most of you, have publicly declared yourself to be followers of Jesus. But I know some people listening to me right now have not. 
These next two moments, minutes are for you, and it might be some of the most important words you will ever hear. So listen. There is a God. There is a coming judgment. And the Bible is clear at that judgment. Some will live forever with God, and some will live forever without God. And in our pride and fallenness, some people may say, how could a good God send anyone away from his presence? Let me tell you that in that moment, when we stand in the brilliant presence of the glorious God, the question will be, how could such a holy God let anyone into his presence? And there's only one way. No, there are not many ways to God. There is one. You must be covered in the same holy righteousness that is God's. That explains the mission of Jesus. That God came himself in the person of Jesus and he went to the cross because our unrighteousness needed, had to be judged. And it was in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, his perfect righteousness is given to us so that we can be brought into the presence of a perfectly holy God. And this is very good news. So I implore you, if you've never publicly declared Jesus, you need to do that today. You need to confess him. You need to be baptized. You need to ask for Jesus to become your righteousness. When do you need to do that? I think today would be a good time. Yeah. No. There is no way we can earn or pay for heaven. It is a gift because of what God has done for us in Jesus. But I will be honest. There are times when it sounds like Jesus teaches that our good works, especially our generosity, can get us into heaven. Particularly, there's a parable of sheep and goats in Matthew 25. And the goats are separated into eternal darkness. The sheep are brought into the kingdom. And it says they, they fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They visited the sick. They went to prisons. It sounds like their acts of generosity are why they are received into the kingdom. But listen closely to how Jesus tells this story in Matthew 25. Look at this verse. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Please notice that Jesus calls the gift an inheritance. You don't buy an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is a gift one receives because someone else has died. This past spring, my father died. My brother and I received a small inheritance. We didn't earn it. It was given to us because we were declared to be rightful heirs. And the scripture says that through our faith in Jesus, we become the sons and daughters of God. We become heirs. It's very significant. The sheep in Jesus' parable have no concept of merit salvation. They don't help needy people and then walk around and boast and say, nailed it. No. 
Their lives reflected the unconscious but consistent overflow of hearts that have been changed by grace. They did what they did because they loved the king. And when you love the king, you love who the king loves. And so we're not generous in order to pay for our salvation. We're generous because our salvation was paid for through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I'll admit there is a tension that Jesus raised we need to deal with. Because even though our use of money does not get us into heaven, be clear our use of money can keep us out of heaven. You're thinking, Pastor, you just contradicted yourself. Well, listen close and stay with me. Let me be clear again. There's only one sin that damns, and that is the refusal to confess and surrender to Jesus. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. But what does surrender to Jesus look like? And there are many ways to answer that question, but it's interesting that in the Gospels, the most consistent answer Jesus gives to what it looks like when he has been enthroned is that the money God has been dethroned. That how one uses money in the present world is the clearest indicator they have trusted Jesus for the next world. I'll give you two examples. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich man. He had a huge harvest, filled up his barn. He had more. He said, I'll just tear down my barn. I'll just build a bigger barn and keep it all to myself. And he died, and Jesus called him a fool. He faced judgment in a desperate way. In Luke 16, you have an even more sobering story. There's a rich man And he lives in a fine house. He's got a gate. And by that gate, there's a beggar named Lazarus. And they both die. And Lazarus goes to be with Abraham's bosom. The rich man goes to a place of torment. And there's a chasm. And he can't cross it. It's very clear that Jesus believes in judgment. And there's only two outcomes of that judgment. Now, in both stories, these rich men are judged as living life poorly. Does it say they were adulterers? Does it say that they uh, cheated on their taxes? It doesn't say that they gained their wealth dishonestly. It says they managed their wealth selfishly. The problem is not that they were rich. The problem is that they were just rich. They lived like they were entitled instead of entrusted. And so... Their deaths did not get them into the kingdom because in their lives, the kingdom never really got into them. They didn't get the kingdom because the kingdom never got them. How do you know? Look at the way they use their money. And Jesus summed up that parable in Luke 12 this way. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When your life is full of God, your use of your money is going to be full of purpose. 
And you're going to want what the Father wants. You're going to want a heaven full of formerly lost children. So here's the last big idea. That your use of money can help others get to heaven. I think the single best way to invest in heaven, to put your money in heaven, to send your treasure ahead, the single best way is to invest in helping people find Jesus. Now, let me be very clear about something. As a church, we should be generous in meeting the needs of a broken world, whether or not those we bless have any interest in Jesus. And we are. We give away hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to bless people with no strings attached. Through our new partners in the CEC, we give food to so many. Or, or we visit teenagers in high schools who are struggling. Uh, we mentor kids in Academy of Four. Uh, and we don't ask the question, how much do you love Jesus before we decide if we're going to help you? Uh, when we advocate for asylum-seeking families, some come to our country as Christians, some do not. It doesn't matter. We're going to help them acclimate to our nation. And, and we should live this way individually. I help with my money many people who have no interest in knowing about Jesus because I want to be Jesus' hands and feet. Let me be clear about this. We should be generous in meeting the needs of a broken world, whether or not those we help have any interest in Jesus. But let me be equally clear. Our mission as a church is to make and grow followers of Jesus. That's job one. We will not allow mission drift. We are unashamedly driven by our conviction that Jesus is the only Savior. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. There are not many ways to God. There is one way, and His name is Jesus. We are unashamedly driven by our conviction that being clothed in His righteousness is everyone's ultimate need. And we believe that entering eternity without Christ is a horrible thing. So horrible, Jesus was willing to die to prevent it. And so we ask for nations and generations because our Father wants His lost children to be found. And this is why we spend millions of dollars planting new churches translating the Bible into languages where it's not yet available, sending missionaries to unreached people groups who have not heard the name Jesus yet. We want to influence eternity with our wealth because more important than doing well in the present world is hearing the king say, well done in the coming age. He is returning. He said, I've entrusted to my servants kingdom assets. And when I come back, if they have invested those assets well, I will say, well done. 
I was reminded of that when I read a story a few years ago. There's this uh, young man named Joel or Joey Prusak, and he worked at a Dairy Queen. Worked there for several years. And uh, he often waited on a man that came in who was blind, and that man was in line, and he dropped a $20 bill. And Joey watched the woman behind pick it up and stick it in her wallet. So when she came to the counter, he just said politely, would you please take that $20 you picked off the floor and give it back to that man there? No, she said, that was my 20 I dropped. No, it wasn't. It's his. And he refused to serve her unless she gave the money back. Well, she got quite angry. In fact, she swore. And he finally said, man, then you need to leave because I'm not going to serve you if you're going to (laughs) steal. So she left. But then what he did next was amazing. He walked to that man. He pulled out his wallet, pulled out a $20 bill, and said, on behalf of Dairy Queen, I want to give you this $20 that you dropped. Well, some people in the store saw what happened. They put it on social media. It kind of blew up. Joey didn't think anything about it. He was just being who he was raised to be. He gets a phone call from this man. That's Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. Uh, the chair of Berkshire Hathaway, the parent company of Dairy Queen, who invited Joey to the shareholders meeting that year to hold him up in front of the entire organization to say, this represents who we want to be. Well done. Well, we live for hearing that from our master. Those of us who were good and rich in this present world We need to be living for the coming age. We know that heaven is on the way. Matthew 19, Jesus said, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, let me just stop a second. I love that made new. Literally in the Greek, it means Genesis again. Everything sin has marred is going to be restored. Jesus is bringing Genesis back. And not only is the world going to be made new, Everything sin has marred is going to be restored, but he's going to make it clear to everyone on that throne that he is Lord. And as followers of Jesus, we proclaim this coming reality by living now for them, particularly through our investments, because we know it's not a risk. It's a sacrifice, but it's not a risk. Next verse. Everyone who's given up homes or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. There is no better investment strategy than to help people meet the coming king. So we had some missionaries years ago that lived in Uganda, and their home burned, and they lost everything, but they weren't devastated because they knew everything they lost was temporal. They didn't lose anything of eternal value, and they sent me this picture, and on the wall of their burned home was a cross that had escaped the fire, and it was a reminder to them that everything they did for Jesus would last. And when he returns, the world will be consumed with fire, not to destroy the world, to purge the world. And everything we've done for Jesus will be revealed.
And so here's my final piece of financial counsel to all of us. Be bullish on the kingdom of heaven. I hope right now you're thinking these last four weeks, Pastor, you have given me a lot to think about. Well, actually, God has given you a lot. So think about it. And when you do, you realize it makes so much sense to be good and rich. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for being so good. Thank you for giving us so much. Help us to enjoy it. And give us the wisdom and desire to employ it to make an eternal difference. Continue to give God, our church, awesome opportunities to make Jesus known in our neighborhood, across our country, and around the world. And help us, God, to find our deepest sense of satisfaction, well-being, and wealth in the riches of the gospel and in the goodness of our Savior Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen.